All right. Hello. Hello, hello, and welcome to another Hometown Daily News Show. I am Mayor Watt, and this is the Hometown Daily News Show for November 30th, 2022. Um, hello, I am Mayor Watt. Today's episode is titled A Eugenics Experiment in Plain Sight, TikTok Nonsense, and More News. I actually have for each of my links today, well, some of them were submitted and some of them um, I chose as I was going through the news. I have actual like little, little pithy titles for each one, but I think I'm gonna treat that as a warm up, kind of like seeing a UFO. I'm gonna, I, I, I saw something, but I'm not quite sure I want to discuss it. That said, though, I do have 11 articles today pre-selected. Let's get into it. The very first article is uh, titled Google says Google should do a better job of patching Android phones. And it made me think we investigated ourselves and found no wrongdoing. In June, Project Zero researcher Maddie Stone detailed an in-the-wild exploit for the Pixel 6 where bugs in the ARM GPU driver could let a non-privileged user get right access to read-only memory. Another Project Zero researcher, Jan Horn, spent the next three weeks finding related vulnerabilities in the driver. The post says the bugs could allow an attacker with native code execution in an app context to gain full access to the system. <laughs> bypassing Android's permission model and allowing broad access to user data. Uh, this seems like it would be pretty quickly addressed, but it says Project Zero says it reported these issues to ARM between June and July 2022 and that ARM fixed the issues promptly in July and August, issuing a security bulletin. It's typically referred to as a CVE and publishing fixed source code but these actively exploited vulnerabilities haven't been patched for users. It says the groups dropping the ball are apparently Google and various Android OEMs. As Project Zero says, months after ARM fixes the vulnerabilities, all of our test devices, which use Molly, um, are still vulnerable to these issues. Quite fascinating, but I'm not surprised. Um, Cybersecurity, even at this stage of the game, seems to be an afterthought um, and very lucrative, by the way. Very, very lucrative. If you think attorneys are expensive, have somebody do a penetration test of your enterprise and see how fast that bill ramps up. Anyway, Ron Amadeo over at Ars Technica is... Um, the writer for this article and it says project zero calls out android and pixel for not fixing a gpu vulnerability it's pretty typical that 18 months goes by when a zero day is found before it's actually a patch is distributed if not even later than that the zero day exists for 18 months quite fascinating that we're still arguing about this kind of stuff. No, you, if there is something that is known patched, go and patch this. It is, <laughs> it's imperative that those who have the ability to protect the network, protect the network. And 
telling a bunch of people, hey, you have a vulnerability, is protecting the network. Now the rest of them have to do their part. So we'll get into a statement that I believe wholeheartedly. Um, I've been saying it for a decade plus. Now other people are saying it in a different context, but let's keep going. The next article is over in the order of the grape. And if you are interested in these articles, just type in exclamation point showbot over in Twitch and you'll get hometown.showbot.tv, which is a link to all of the articles that I discuss. Obviously they'll be in the show notes as well, but I no longer put them in the chat um, mainly because it slows down the the stream. But um, I know that the VOD plays back what I put in there, just like everybody else's. Uh, comments. And so I may end up going back uh, to putting them one at a time in the, in the chat stream. So I'd like you to be able to click on them as we go through it as well. But anyway, weighing the pros and cons of this, if you have any comment on it, then uh, throw it in chat. Let me know what you would be interested in. Do you want me to throw them in chat, the, the URLs to the articles? Anyway, So beer for dogs, wine for cats, how drinks for pets became a global phenomenon. I think it's because people really love their animals and uh, they do these and animals love humans, but it's really because they, they love that we give them food and scoop their poo. So I don't know if this is really something that we're going to figure out, but how drinks for pets became a global phenomenon because people really dig doing stuff for their pets more so than even the humans that are in their lives. I know several people that love pets more than humans because humans are kind of tools sometimes. And a a dog will love you. If you go into the garage for 30 seconds to throw something in recycling, they will lose their mind like a magic trick. Anyway, Funny or otherwise, the holidays always brings out a, a plenty of marketing stunts. And 2022 is no exception, along with special bottles for sharing with friends and family at the Thanksgiving table this year. Many of those celebrating will also pour a special beverage for their furry friends. Or at least what Anheuser-Busch InBev hopes. This year, the world's largest beer company is offering Bush Turkey Broth Dog Brew, its second mass market beer for dogs, since its original pork flavored dog beer hit the market in 2020. So just so you know, it is available in canned four packs. Bush's Thanksgiving themed dog drinks are not alcoholic. Okay, they're made from uh, vegetables, herbs, spices, and turkey broth. So again, non-alcoholic, don't freak out. Anyway, this is over at vinepair.com. And uh, Evan Rail is the author of this. The illustration was done by Danielle Grinberg. Has a dog and a cat in a beer mug. Whoa, not again. Pardon me. Technical glitch. I'm just going to let this try and reset. We'll see. At any rate. um, Let's see. Available in canned four packs. It's a non-alcoholic brew. 
for a company that sold over 495 million barrels of beer in more than 150 countries last year, it can't mount it can't amount to much more than a bit of marketing. As Bush reported, it's 2020 beer for dogs sold out within 24 hours, which would be hard to imagine as a meaningful effect on the bottom line. Well, it's that exclusivity and people start talking about it. Did you get it? Did you get it? Nope, I didn't get it. Turn to eBay. Maybe you can find it on there, although I don't think you can sell food or drinks on eBay. But you can find it in Craigslist or somewhere else. I don't know. You'll find it somewhere. Does it say... Let, let me scroll down a little bit. So, dog beer sells out. Um, let's see. I'm scrolling really fast. But that's okay. You can keep up. Let's see. To provide successful caregiving to another human, to another animal that actually releases... Hormones that make you feel good, she says. A scientific paper she co-authored studied the role of oxytocin, or oxytocin um, sometimes called the love hormone in human-animal interactions. That's right. You can just look at your pet and you will get a little blast of oxytocin. Uh, yeah, supposedly you can do that uh, simply by seeing a loved one, someone you care for, your children... Um, all kinds of stuff. If you care for it, you can get a little blast of oxytocin just by looking at them. It says here uh, that they personally enjoy much more than the person joins the animal in a natural interaction that is really fun for the animal. But all the feeding, that's also why we have an obesity problem in pets. And most of our pets are overweight today. Oh, you know, it sounds, it's, real right they're making that statement but man what a downer oh we're all obese we're all going to be in those little hover vehicles flying around in a mega mall let's move on to the next article uh this is one that's probably i'm gonna get in trouble for um because it's in the hatch ideas channel but it's titled elon musk is the head of five companies that need strong leadership instead he's starting twitter wars and I'm just going to jump right into the article. It's over at Business Insider. Uh, Margaret Ward is the author of this, Marguerite Ward. Um, and, uh, you know, the way that I see it is Elon Musk is never the leader. He is the person that's standing next to the bus driver. And the bus driver is the engineers and the uh, <laughs> chief operations officer and the CFO, et cetera, et cetera. And he's there every once in a while pointing in a direction. Can you make the font larger? Um, every once in a while has something to say, but for the most part, I don't think that he's the leadership. That's my perception of it. Um, I'd love for somebody to say otherwise, but you cannot run five companies and be this much of a blowhard. Elon Musk has made headlines in his recent tweets, including posts about guns and Apple, him and his toy guns. Um, critics say the Twitter CEO's use of the platform could further endanger the, the struggling company. Yeah, he's going he's gonna to cause it to collapse. It's what I was saying at the very beginning of this. He's going to cause it to just completely collapse. It's all debt that's borne by Twitter. 
It isn't his. He owned a large sum of it and leveraged it to capitalize on the purchase, right? So while some people did put money in there and others went along with it, he's going to burn them, give them a fraction of their money, and then reissue the stock to the public. It's going to re-IPO. He's going to release the stock again and, and people are going to buy it up and they're going to, while he has converted it, I don't know if this is actually what's going to happen, but this is what my imagination is doing. He's going to end up tanking the value of it, but then when he releases it, he's going to hype it back up just like he did with other things. He, he, <laughs> you know, he says that Doge is great and then does something. I don't know what kind of shenanigan he played there, but. It tanked after he said something after pumping it up. And, and I don't think that Twitter is any different. It's just massive in size. Are we ever going to see if this is actually fraudulent? Who knows? Despite his fame and wealth, Musk is still answerable to lenders, advertisers, employees. Not if the objective is to drag it to its knees and then issue basically to the the creditors hey i'll give you 20 cents on the dollar if that you know i'll give you 15 cents on the dollar but you know twitter's going down uh, it was stable before but it got a friend out of whatever is going on with twitter now it's going to tank and he's going to make money on it because he is going to buy out the creditors when they start hurting for well, we're going to miss our payment. We're going to miss our next payment too. You know, this is, I think this is messy and uh, skirting. I think it's going to end up being uh, one of those things where it skirts the legality of running a business. So in business, optics matter, especially when you're a new CEO. He's not a new CEO. He buys his way into middle management. Actually, it's leadership. So he buys his way into leadership. Because he never had not money. He never was broke. Um, so he can play these little reindeer games all he wants. That's a reality Elon Musk might benefit from understanding, especially on the heels of his aggressive takeover of Twitter and layoffs he ordered, the growing competition facing Tesla, the setbacks of, at Boring Company. Musk uh, Venture created, a, uh, created to dig traffic-busting tunnels, and that's not really going to happen. Anyway, he said, uh, it says here, the Swiss Army knife of CEOs has said how limited his time is since taking the helm at Twitter. I have too much work on my plate. That is for sure, Musk said in a video conference on the sidelines of the G20 summit in November. Jeez. I don't know. I don't like these people playing politics and uh, being involved in the G20 Anyway, even busy CEOs need downtime, but Musk's musings is uh, 280 characters further risk Twitter's future, putting employees and advertisers on edge. Definitely. Um, I don't know. Hatching Twitter, a true story of money, power, friendship, and betrayal, told Vox that Musk's social media celebrity is 1,000% hurting his ability to run Twitter. Yeah, again, though, I think it's to tank Twitter. 
anyway. And I said this months ago when all of these shenanigans started taking place. The objective is basically to make money by flipping Twitter um, and getting his friend out of having to carry all of that. Basically, millions of dollars uh, went to compatriots, basically. And now Twitter's integrity and value is going to tank, but just in time for Elon Musk to scoop up at deep discount the remaining stakeholder value and then reissue it. Converting whatever that margin is going to end up being ultimately. I'd probably say he's going to make... Nah, I, I, I don't know. I couldn't... I wouldn't be able to uh, properly value it right now. I'd have to wait and see um, where where we end up if creditors get pissed off enough to start walking. Then we'll see. Anyway, the next article is over in the Word in Tech. Mysteriously bright flash is a black hole jet pointing straight toward Earth. That's right. An interstellar black hole jet is pointing right at Earth. Can you imagine the gases that are being blown at Earth right now? Jennifer Chu, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. I'm sorry, I kind of watered down your uh, black hole jet pointing straight to Earth to a fart joke. The team, led by researchers at NASA, Caltech, and elsewhere, thanks for jumbling everybody together in the elsewhere, posted their discovery to an astronomy newsletter where the signal drew the attention of astronomers around the world, including scientists at MIT. Over the next few days, multiple telescopes focused in on the signal to gather more data across multiple wavelengths in the X-ray, ultraviolet, optical, and radio bands to see what could possibly produce such an enormous amount of light. Now the MIT astronomers, along with their collaborators, have determined a likely source of the signal. In a study appearing in Nature Astronomy, the scientists report that the signal, named AT2022 CMC, likely comes from a relativistic jet of matter streaking out from a supermassive black hole at close to the speed of light, and they believe that the jet is the product of a black hole that suddenly began devouring a nearby star, releasing a huge amount of energy in the process. Dun, dun, dun. So they have a video over at fizz.org. That's where this article is. And uh, go check it out. Uh, The next article is in the Hatch Ideas channel. A 1930s eugenic... Pardon me. A 1930s eugenics experiment is the reason women's clothing sizes are so damn frustrating. This is according to an article over in Business Insider, a title, well, the book that this is taken from is titled Butts, A Backstory by Heather Radke, revealed how women's sizes came to be, measuring squads visited American households and only maintained white women's measurements. A 1930s eugenics experiment is the reason why women's clothing are so inconsistent as per Radke. So, uh, Isabella Zavaris is the author of this article, again, over at businessinsider.com. 
Um, but it's a 1930s eugenics experiment to measure people, specifically white women. Heather Radke, who wrote a book exploring the feelings women have with one particular part of their body, their butts. So in her book, Butts, a Backstory, a book about uh, the complicated relationship between our backsides, uh, Radke revealed the history of eugenicists' obsession with what a good body is. Hint, it has to do with racism. Um, this is what I've been told about many other things. Um, things like, uh, the badge, police badge. Um, the same thing with tips. Tipping in America was related to racism. The badge was related to racism. Um, and, um, now size measurements are related to racism. It seems like we have an, uh, a history with it and gosh it's interesting that we deny it so virulently we really don't want to just admit that there is an, a history of racism that runs rampant through america you know i have have been told if you don't like it here leave hate to break it to you but <laughs> we all weren't here and we all have a duty to accept the history and never let it happen again. But look what we're doing. We're allowing it to happen again. That's okay. Well, society will push all of this back under the rock that it belongs under. And again, you, you can, Remember history and never allow it to happen again, or you can forget history, deny it, it will repeat, and we'll have the same suffering that we had not too long ago in the grand scheme of things. And then we look at things like this that say, hey, guess what? Our history for sizes of clothing are aligned with racism. In the 1930s, Ruth O'Brien, who worked at the Bureau of Home Economics and was the first head of the Textiles and Clothing Division, a U.S. Department of Agriculture department that studied the best ways to clean, sew, and purchase food and clothing, wanted to tackle this problem facing half of the population. Women were sending items back because they didn't fit. O'Brien worked on the development of standard sizes for commercially sold clothing and fabric selection for the home sewer. It's not clear whether the government was working with clothing manufacturers, but part of O'Brien's job was to negotiate with manufacturers, retailers, and other government agencies to help her the Works Progress Administration, a New Deal agency established during the Great Depression by Franklin D. Roosevelt, recruited women for measuring squads that visited American households and recorded women's measurements. Gosh, that just sounds so gross. Measuring squads. Just a hop and a skip from a morality squad. Go and check out this article. But obviously know that this is something that's tied to systemic racism. Right? It even says it here in the book. Radke revealed that O'Brien advised the measuring squads to take the measurements of all women, but O'Brien said non-white women would have their data erased. 
might want to check out that book. If you are interested in that kind of a thing, the history of clothing, the history of design, the, it's a sociological force that dictates even today what the sizes are for women's clothing. The next article, though, is in the Hatch Ideas channel. Bitcoin tops $17,000 for the first time in two weeks, but analysts don't expect the bounce to stick. I am uh, one of those that don't believe that the bounce will stick. In fact, let me look right now. I'm not sure where it's at. It's at 17164 so we'll see. It never stops trading, but um, we'll see what it ends up being uh, during the regular business day here in the States. Um, but it never stops trading. You'll just see intraday um, spikes. So it went up two jumps from 16,500-ish, uh, 425 really. It jumped up to 16,900 or so. And then um, a few hours ago, it jumped up to Actually, not really a few hours ago, about 40 minutes ago, it jumped up uh, to where it is now, 17,000. Interesting, but so far away from the values that I've heard people have been paying for Bitcoin, $30,000 average for some platforms. So let's take a look at this. Oh, pardon me. Uh, Bitcoin top 17,000. Oh, this article. What the heck? I do. I'm not sure what's going on. Anyway, um, this is over at CNBC. Bitcoin top 17,000 for the first time in two weeks, but analysts don't expect the bounce to stick. Arjun Karpal is the author of this. Again, over at um, CNBC. One analyst warned that the bounce is likely to likely just a bear market rally and would not be sustained. Investor confidence in cryptocurrencies has been hammered after Sam Bankman-Fried um, exchange, uh, called FTX. And we all know about what it is. Just say Sam and, you know, um, and filed for bankruptcy this month, sending shockwaves through the entire industry. And I think that it'll have knock on effects with other platforms. They're going to get regulated and they're going to get regulated. I'd say within the next two years. Um, so Bitcoin on Wednesday rose to a three week high, three week high. Um, as investors continue to weigh the fallout from the collapse of the crypto exchange FTX and their FTT coin that they apparently used as security for a loan that was given to start FTX. One of the founders wanted their money back or investors wanted their money back. And they said, well, we'll give you FTT. That's what I heard today. Um, huh. I'll have to look for an ar the article that I saw this in. Um, but at any rate, FTT collapsed, FTX collapsed as a knock-on of FTT. Um, and there are no policies or procedures in place to protect it, the, the investor's assets. So anybody that was on the platform, poof, gone, even though 400 million disappeared right before the collapse and the bankruptcy. Um, more than $1.3 trillion of value have been wiped off the cryptocurrency market this year, sparked by the failure of the algorithmic stablecoin Terra USD in May and the implosion of hedge fund Three Arrows Capital. Then FTX collapsed worse in the situation. And that runs deep, apparently. Um, 
So AR said that the price of Bitcoin has hit resistance at 17000 and is likely to go lower from there. Yeah, I believe so too. And like I said in previous shows, it's going to be a decade before we see Bitcoin climbing back up to maybe 25000 maybe. Uh, but I see regulation coming in and tamping that down, even from the 17000 marker. So... Let's move on to the next article. This is in the SmackDog channel. TikTok is still your one-stop shop for total nonsense about Apple. A man claiming to work for Apple prior to 2010 is sharing what he calls dirty secrets about the company, but as you'd expect, it's just conspiratorial nonsense, and here's why. This is over at Apple Insider by Wesley Hilliard. And it says, um, the TikTok video, I'm going to pause this video. The TikTok video shared by a user, Nabil Ko, got 2.8 million views and counting, claiming that Apple used system data storage on iPhone as a planned planned obsolescence tactic. And this has no basis in reality. The user goes on to make uh, other claims based on the history of working at Apple, saying that the company had actually cared about speeding up the iPhone once, before Steve Jobs died. Now Apple apparently profits from breaking users' devices on purpose. So people buy iPhones, he claims. I'm not sure why people would buy. So more people buy iPhones? Sure, until they hit their their bulk rate. When they sit there and say, well, this isn't uh, like me. I haven't upgraded in a couple of years because, well, three years, I think. Maybe longer. I don't even remember when I last bought an iPhone. It was because I don't see, I see incremental updates. And if it isn't enough of an update, then I'm not going to buy it. That's no different than, you know, supposedly it breaks it. Well, no, the software is, becomes advanced enough that it requires more processing power. This has happened for years and years and years. Otherwise we would still have, you know, uh, 8080, 8088 processor. Um, let's see. Let me look at that. So this was one of my original computers way back, man. When was that? 1979? 1982. No, I think it was 79. Somewhere in the early 80s was when I got my first 8088 processor. Um with a 420 math coprocessor, not even 8087. It was some aftermarket whatever thing, like, I don't know. Anyway, uh, all of this, it, it's it gets clicks. People really love a dumpster fire, and it's just kind of interesting to see this happen, right? Somebody can sit there and blow smoke up your butt and you'll click on it because not you in particular, not, not the people who go to my chat and listen to the podcast and all of that, but there are millions of people out there that are so fascinated by the dumpster fire that they'll sit there and watch this and, oh, I wonder if it's real and all of that. System data and other. The system data storage on iPhone is space used by the device for caching and other processes. It is a flexible container that dumps data to the device uh, as the device storage fills up, meaning that the user has no reason to delete it manually. 
This is no different than a system file swap on a Windows machine. However, there are methods to delete the system data from their device. Users can delete unused apps, clear caches, or even restore from a device backup. These steps are unnecessary, but can give users peace of mind who are bothered by the storage allocation. The TikTok user continues with various posts filled with, well, total BS and lies, according to the author. The most recent video shares information about iPhone battery life that's so fundamentally wrong, we're not sure where to begin addressing it, but they do, and you can go and follow that link. Um, I don't know. I, I think that society really loves to watch a dumpster fire, and this is no different. But I ended up writing about, or not writing about it, but talking about it here on Hometown Daily News Show um, because it's become a thing. TikTok really is kind of <laughs> the opiate of the masses nowadays. It used to be TV in general. Now it's nothing more than it's TikTok. They, they are making bank. <laughs> they are keeping people enthralled. That, that just blast of chemicals in your head every time a new video. Ooh, a new video. Ooh, ooh, a piece of candy. Ooh, a piece of candy. Anyway, the next article is in the Hatch Ideas channel. Uh, AMC Network's CEO, Christina Spade, who worked for just three months, is apparently entitled to a payout of over $10 million. AMC Network's CEO, Christina Spade, stepped down after only three months in her new role, yet she's entitled to a severance payout of at least $10.5 million. The announcement of her departure came hours before AMC announced plans to cut 20% of its U.S. staff. You know why they have to cut 20% of the U.S. staff? Because the CEO who stepped down after three months gets a severance package of two or $10.5 million. CEO valuation is amazing. It is so sociopathic. And stockholders, stakeholders, stockholders in particular, and investors that are well, not just your average stockholder, but controlling the organization and members of the board who say, keep those worker wages suppressed, but let's give somebody who bows out after three months $10 million. Aaron Mock over at businessinsider.com is the author of this. So AMC terminates 20% of its U.S. staff. CEO bows out $10.5 million. Shocking. Absolutely shocking. Spade, who joined AMC Networks as CFO last year and became CEO in September, had a minimum annual base salary of $1.75 million, as well as a bonus of double that salary, according to the agreement. Spade's departure came just after AMC sent a memo to staff on Tuesday announcing plans to lay off 20% or about 200 people as it struggles to generate enough revenue from its streaming services to offset the decline of cable television. Oh, I don't know. Stop paying people a golden parachute of $10.5 million and a minimum annual base salary of $1.75 million when 20% of your staff is 200 people. The amount of runway 
there. Oh, it's to retain qualified candidates. Yeah, who bow out after three months. I'm sure they learned their lesson, right? They learned their lesson. I'll just say they learned their lesson. One more time. I'm sure they learned their lesson. AMC will face significant cutbacks in operations and cuts to every operating area of the network, Dolan wrote in a memo. We, of course, realize that this will cause significant concern and anxiety for our employees and those who rely on AMC networks for their livelihood. We don't take it lightly, but we do take your paycheck. Okay, let's move on to the next article. It's in Hatch Ideas. Walmart saw a big dip in customer shopping at stores on Black Friday this year. This is across the board what has been happening. The rest of the title is a study finds, and instead we may have been flocking to the retailer's website. Yes, that's exactly what everybody has been doing. You got relatively inexpensive shipping, you buy in bulk, you get it cheaper, you don't have to mess with all of the people, Everything gets delivered to your doorstep. It's a beautiful system that we've got going here. Why make us all go back to work? Oh, it's because, you know, you're regressive. Ben Tobin over at Business Insider is the author. The Bentonville, Arkansas-based retailer offered both early online and in-person Black Friday deals. Nonetheless, Walmart got more search traffic than its rivals from people looking online for Black Friday deals. Yeah, I don't know. It's probably because they've been driving stuff to online and people would rather not have to deal with this. Deal with the mad dash. Just give us a steady deal, right? On Black Friday, if you want to lower it a little bit, then awesome. You know, save me five more percent or 15%. I'd like 30 or 40, but supposedly you can't keep those prices and still have, you know, an actual ongoing concern of a business. Anyway, Walmart saw a 5.3% dip in physical store traffic this Black Friday compared to last, according to estimates from Placer.ai, a location data company. And the big box stores across the board saw fewer people coming in. Placer.ai estimates that Target and Lowe's saw Black Friday foot traffic decline by 2 and 18.6% respectively compared with last year. Definitely Lowe's. Target, I, I'm surprised. Um, they had a lot of in-person sales. Um, and for me, their website and limitations as to what they'll ship, um, maybe it's just me. <laughs> but yeah, I can't get delivered as much as I want from Target because they don't ship certain things. Global online searches for the term Black Friday deals were up 246.6% this year, according to a study from data platform SEMrush. I'm thinking that Cyber Monday and Black Friday are pretty much going to be a four-day weekend of purchasing online. So um, I think it's the, the prudent thing to do is prepare for, um, pre prepare for four days of sales next year. If you are in business, prepare for four days of sales uh, next year. Anyway, let's move on. I think I've got maybe two more articles. Yep, two more articles. In uh, the Stock Marketeers channel, we have from MarketWatch Econofact, can moving to a different neighborhood improve your chances in life? I am going to just jump in here and scream yes. Why? Because if you move to a different neighborhood and it is a better neighborhood, then yes, you're going to improve your life. 
why would you move to a more hostile or negative uh, neighborhood? Nobody knows. But if you move in a, into a more positive neighborhood with a healthier lifestyle present, then you will also take on typically that healthier lifestyle and that happier, less stressful neighborhood, right? So yes, moving to a different neighborhood. I mean, it certainly worked for me. Uh, <laughs> um, um, my previous neighbors made my life pretty much hell because they thought that they owned the entire entire neighborhood um, and nobody would set their ass straight. But, but me, I became that guy. Um, Lawrence Katz is the author over at Market Watch. Moving to a place with more opportunities might make you healthier, but it would probably make your kids healthier and wealthier and probably happier too. Um, that healthier and wealthier pretty much makes you happy too. Um, there's a lot of people that say, you know, money can't buy you happiness, but, uh, that's where they've probably already had money. Um, at any rate, there's a strong correlation between a person's economic success and the poverty rate of their neighborhood. Yes, true. Um, there, there are research studies that say this, reiterate this. If you have to worry about your uh, existence in a neighborhood so that you can't study and you're worried about where your food is coming from, you're worried about your safety, etc., you don't learn as well. And so moving to a better neighborhood will improve your children's life and your life as well. Does the neighborhood itself play a role in causing these outcomes? It says, while social scientists have long pondered this question in the U.S. context, it has proven difficult to assess causal, causal effects of neighborhoods on life outcomes. That's probably because there are a whole lot of other environmental, social environmental issues, uh, variables at play, so they can't really deduce. But let me tell you anecdotally, people who move into a better neighborhood... It is because it is a better neighborhood, right? As long as the people aren't, uh, you know, horrible people, you know, uh, they are from a socioeconomic level where they and their social skills are poor or they're racist or whatever. Um, and, you know, racism comes in all kinds of forms. So I'd say the causal effect of a good neighborhood on life outcomes one, one, it's a one-to-one -one ratio here. You, you have a better neighborhood, you will have a better life outcome because you're not sitting there stressing about your existence because your neighborhoods aren't your neighborhood, your neighbors aren't tools. So does the neighborhood itself play a role in causing these outcomes? I would say yes. Moving to opportunity, a housing voucher program uh, implemented in the mid 1990s has allowed researchers to study the effect of neighborhoods that the neighborhood itself can have on adults and children over time. I think that this is actually not exactly uh, right. Um, the research is there, but um, the moving to opportunity program provided about 4,600 families living in public housing projects in deeply impoverished neighborhoods in Baltimore, Boston, Chicago, Los Angeles, and New York, the ability to participate in lotteries to receiving housing vouchers and assistance to move into uh, higher opportunity neighborhoods. The program has allowed researchers to study the effect that having the opportunity to move to 
lower poverty neighborhoods, which is, uh, I, what you, I guess you would say, uh, well, higher opportunity, not lower poverty, but higher opportunity, um, neighborhoods had on families during the span of two decades. So this is, um, a second group that was offered regular Section 8 housing vouchers with no location constraints or additional counseling and a control group that participated in the lottery but received no assistance through the program. Very interesting. You might want to look up um, Moving to Opportunity um, or the Moving to Opportunity um, program. It's from 1992. Interesting, but it began operating in 1994. Adults who were able to move to better neighborhoods through moving to opportunity saw large improvements in well-being, though not in income and economic outcomes. Well, that might be because education plays a pivotal role in your um, financial, your economic outcomes. So if all they did was provide a means to move into a higher opportunity neighborhood but didn't retool the people so that they could get take advantage of that higher opportunity lower poverty um situation then no they their income and their economic outcomes will not be superior will not improve they will have to be retooled and educated However, subsequent research has found little evidence that uh, getting an opportunity to move to a lower poverty area had essentially zero effect on employment and earnings for adults after four to seven years, 10 to 15 years, or even longer term. In contrast, those who moved saw very large effects on well-being and health. The opportunity to move from a neighborhood with a high level of poverty to one with lower level of poverty was associated with potentially important reductions in the prevalence of extreme obesity and diabetes. That's because stress um, causes quite a few changes in your blood chemistry. For example, one study found that after 10 to 15 years, moving to a lower poverty uh, neighborhood reduced the prevalence of having a body mass index of 40 or more by 7 percentage points and the prevalence of diabetes uh, by 10 percentage points. Pretty amazing stuff. But for children, the economic effects were more striking and the impact was greater for those who moved at younger ages. It's because they grew up in a more affluent neighborhood that gave them more opportunity to be accepted and not have to be in survival mode. Um, the longer the exposure to a lower poverty neighborhood, the bigger the economic impact. If anything, the children who moved to a lower poverty neighborhood closer to 18 saw slightly negative effects, perhaps because adjusting to neighborhoods can be disruptive, straining social ties, etc. Um, and there's always a social pressure to uh, align yourself with, you know, the local culture. Um, but yeah, it, the longer you're there, the more you can fit in, so to speak. Um, take advantage of all of the opportunities, the better, better education, etc. Um, and basically this is across the board. It happens. So what are the possible pathways through which neighborhoods can impact different outcomes for adults and children? There's all kinds of factors, but, um, there's, there's more uh, over at this um, Market Watch report. I think that everybody should go and read more. Maybe you'll get more uh, subtle detail from it on your own. 
Um, what I'm saying is a summary basically of some of these things, but, um, neighborhoods can impact through different outcomes for adults and children by removing the, uh, influence of violence on them, increasing the quality of the jobs that are available, increasing the quality of the education that's available, increasing the, uh, the, let's just say socially acceptable levels uh, from peer influences and, and not things like, hey, um, you know, do this drug or drink this drink or let's go cause trouble here or there or whatever. Um, less uh, pollution. Uh, the article talks about all of this stuff at different levels, different degrees, but um, for the most part, uh, the, the summary is that if you move to a better neighborhood, you will have a better life and your kids will have an even better life than you. Um, and finally, the last article is in the Law Nerd channel. And let me see something real quick. Uh, calls mount for binding SCOTUS ethics code after anti-abortion crusader alleges Hobby Lobby leak. And uh, this is where I say abuse happens in the dark. Even for the Supreme Court of the United States, Deborah Kassens Weiss at the ABAjournal.com website wrote this article. Um, and here is uh, the Reverend Bob Shank speaking outside of the U.S. Supreme Court building in 2005 and currently screaming, why, why do I feel that I need to influence politics and exert government pressure on private lives, yet scream at the same time that government should stay out of our lives. That's right. It's because for the right people, the right people, it's okay. Rules for thee, not for me. We won't even get into all of the other stuff. <laughs> Anyway, the New York Times reported Saturday on allegations by the Reverend Bob Shank, who said he learned in advance that Justice Samuel Alito would write the opinion in Barwell v. Hobby Lobby stores, and it would favor religious rights for employers. The June 30th, 2014 decision exempted closely held corporations with religious objections from having to provide mandatory contraceptive coverage for employees. Shank said, uh, he learned about the upcoming decision from Gail Wright, a donor to his evangelical nonprofit, after she and her husband had dinner with Alito and his wife, Martha Ann. The Wrights had been introduced to Alito through their work for the Supreme Court Historical Society. And therein lies the rub, because if there is, it, it, you know, if it quacks like a duck, let me tell you, it's a freaking duck. Well, Alito denies it. Um, let's see. Wrights deny it. Shank says that, said, uh, Wright said that Shank's claim about the Hobby Lobby leak was patently not true, while Alito said the claim that he or his wife told the Wrights about the decision was completely false. All right. Well, I mean, is there uh, enough evidence to suggest that the Reverend and the Wrights and Alito uh, all are hanging out together, you know? I mean, I'm sure that there's pictures, right? That'll tie everybody together. 
The New York Times and other publications covered the reaction to Shank's allegations. Reactions include Fix the Court, the Transparency Group, um, called for a passage of the Supreme Court Ethics, Recusal, and Transparency Act. And they're all making money off of this. <laughs> uh, just follow the money. Why can I be audited, but you don't hear about it? Supreme Court justices. In fact, they wiped out the complaints that were related to a Supreme Court justice when he was an attorney because he became a Supreme Court justice. Rules for thee, right? No. Rules for thee, not for me. Rules for everybody, damn it. Brian Fallon, executive director of Demand Justice, a legal advisory organization, said the Senate Judiciary Committee should investigate the new leak report. Yeah, well, Supreme Court is pretty much immune from anybody influencing it, supposedly, right? Except if you are politically connected and maybe part of a Supreme Court historical society. Yeah, it's all unsettling, but abuse happens in the shadows. It ha the phrase that I say is abuse happens in the dark. But I think that there can be darkness everywhere, and this certainly is starting to smack of the dark. So shine light, baby. Everybody just shine their light on this and, and make what needs to be known known. Um, we're not going to have social change. We're not going to have solutions until the whole story is known about things. And, uh, you know, we cast off ignorance as some shield Literally, when a president sits there and says, you got to stop testing, because when you, if you stop testing, all of this will go away. All of this will go away. Yeah, the, the pandemic will go away because you stop testing. What an idiot. Anyway, hometown daily news show is on every day at 6 p.m. Eastern. I talk about a, 10 articles each time. Right now, today, we did 11 uh, most of which were submitted to me. I went through all of the news and gathered it up. Uh, you can go vote over at Showbot, which means you'll have to go to hometown.showbot.tv, or if you just type in exclamation point Showbot in chat, um, you'll get the link. That's where the URL URLs are for the articles that we talk about. And on top of that, they'll be added to the show notes after each show. Go and check it all out. It's all over the place. So there's a podcast. There is a YouTube channel, hometown. Just do at hometown in the search and should pull it up. Um, I'm here on Twitch. Oh, no. I've got to go. Bye-bye. <laughs>